Okay, good to see all of you this morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. Thanks for being here with us. And next, uh, just a few announcements before we begin. First of all, uh, the next fitness league, the NFL, um, those of you, you men in here, 25 to 45, you're invited to attend. Um, our plan is to launch the Sunday after Labor Day. That's the 13th. And we might do a thing or two before that date, but um, that is our official launch date, the 13th. And if you haven't signed up yet, still thinking about it, still considering it, you've got time. Just uh, send me a text uh, here pretty quickly and let me know. Also, uh, as I mentioned last week, we want to do a couple more social events in between now and December. And if you are interested in um, hosting one of those, please let me know. You can see me after class or shoot me a text later on after you've spoken with your significant other and made sure that it was okay. Make sure you can get the house cleaned up in time and all that stuff. So uh, anyway, please keep those things in mind. So several weeks ago, back in June, we started this series called The Four G's, getting close to the end. We've been working on this all summer. And um, that was really mean. That kind of hurts. That hurts my feelings. No, it was. It, I'm, I'm on board with hers. That was smack her again. Um, this material comes from the book "You Can Change" by Tim Chester, and it's this tool for examining and rooting out sinful behavior, negative emotions. Why are we angry? Why are we depressed? Uh, why do I keep returning to this same sin over and over and over again? And it exposes the hidden beliefs that are, that are behind our behavior that drive how we behave. And so today, we're going to start unpacking the last of the four G's. So this is the fourth one. God is glorious. God is glorious. But before we do that, uh, as has been our tendency, we'll go through a lightning review. Now, I know some of you guys, y'all are in here every Sunday. You're like, oh man, here we go again with a review. But we don't have the same people in here every Sunday. And I hate for people to come in and not have a clue uh, what we've been doing. So we want to go back and touch on this stuff again. And then, not only that, not only is there the factor that the same people aren't in here every Sunday, but over the past several months with you guys, I've learned that you don't always retain what we've covered from the last week to this week. And it, so I, it, it's good for you to hear it again because the more you handle information and the different ways you handle information, the more likely you are to retain it. At least that's my hope. So um, we'll, do this, uh, we'll do this lightning review again before we get into uh, God is glorious today. So here we go. Number one, belief governs What's the 4G phrase? Belief governs behavior. Belief governs behavior. What we believe about God matters. It matters. It matters how you see God. It matters how you perceive Him. Uh, remember, A.W. Tozer said, your picture of God, the thing that comes first into your mind whenever you think about God, is the most important thing about you. So therefore, we need a true and an accurate picture of who God is. Because what we believe about Him will determine our behavior. So belief governs behavior. See now while we review. Number two, when our head, what we know, and in our heart, what we believe, when those two things aren't in harmony, we call that what? Spiritual dissonance. Thank you, Sister Cooper. Yes, we call that spiritual dissonance. Uh, it's, it's the... The um, conflict that's created whenever I know one thing in my head, but I'm believing something else in my heart. 
and I know I should believe this way, I know I should act this way, I know God is this way, but yet my actions reveal there's a different belief clicking around in there because I'm, I'm behaving consistently in a way that's contrary to what I know in my head and it, it, it gets me frustrated, it makes me feel like a hypocrite and I want to quit. It's this thing called spiritual dissonance. Uh, number three, all sin, all negative emotion is a result of believing a lie about God. And that's probably the sticking point that most of us have felt over the course of this 4G material because, you know, we're all good church people. We've been in church for a long time. We, we know all this Bible. Uh, where, who do you think you are and where do you get off telling me that I, I'm believing a lie about God? Well, why do you keep acting the way you act? Why are you so angry? Why are you a spirit-filled Christian and you're depressed? It's because there's a different belief clicking around in your heart than what you know in your head. And you've, you've consumed, you have, you've consumed a lie about God. And uh, the solution to that is to embrace the truth about God. And that's the purpose of the four G's that we've been through. So what are the truths that we've explored so far? First of all, God is good. So how does that impact our behavior? God is good, so what? I don't have to look for satisfaction anywhere else. There were some other people back there. They were mouthing it, but they, they weren't real sure about which G we were on, so they were a little tentative. Uh, God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. I don't have to look, I don't have to go anywhere else in order to be fulfilled and satisfied because what God is and what God provides is good. It's good. All right, the second one that we looked at was God is gracious. God is gracious, so... That's right, Tommy. God's, God's gracious. He's full of grace, so I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove myself to myself. I don't have to prove myself to others. And I don't have to prove myself to God. It, it's a gift, not a reward. It's not a wage. It's not a salary. It's a gift. And then a couple of weeks ago, we started with the third one of these. God is great. A little bit of an astronomy lesson with all of that. Uh, but had a good time. It was fun. God is great. So I don't have to try to be in control. God is great, so I don't have to try to be in control. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to some of these again, they're all available on the church website. We record this every morning, um, so it's available for you. If you missed one, want to go back and hit it. Um, one of kind of got in your heart a little bit, you need to go over that again. Go check it out again via podcast. So, awesome. Today, let's, uh, let's move on. God is glorious. God is glorious. What, what is glory? What is glory? What does it mean to be glorious? How do we know if something is glorious? The modern idea of something being glorious is more often than not closely related to greatness. When we say something is glorious, that means that we, we delight from it. We take delight in it. It's big. It's not just great. It's really, really great. It's wonderful, it's delightful, it's completely enjoyable, it's beautiful, magnificent, splendid. Defining words isn't as easy as we think it is sometimes whenever you get really involved in it and get down to it, especially whenever we use words sarcastically. Uh, the dance floor on 80s night was glorious. 
Yeah, that's sarcasm. Uh, my late night grocery run to Walmart was glorious. Because you know the kind of people you run into. Walmart late night. I fell down the steps in front of 300 people and it was glorious. So, or we might just use the word glorious to say that something is really, really good. That sunset was glorious. Steve Lukather was glorious. We touched on this idea a couple of weeks ago and it applies here too. Just like God is great, but not great in the way a steak is great. He's not glorious in the same way that a sunset might be or Steve Lukather might be. Glorious should be defined more along the lines of possessing a consummate worth, a beauty, a virtue, an excellence, a value. Consummate means complete or perfect supreme. So possessing a complete, perfect, supreme beauty, a complete, uh, perfect, supreme value, a complete, perfect, supreme virtue or worth. In the olden times, or in Hebrew rather, the idea of glory was actually related to heaviness. The, the words were related to, to the idea of weight. So you know in olden times, uh, you would weigh things of value, like gold or silver, something precious. But not just physical weight, but also the importance of something in your life. We're still talking about glory, what glorious means. The more influence something has over you, the more weight it carries in your life. Your boss carries more weight than your coworker. Your spouse carries more weight than your friend. So if you want to know how glorious you think someone or something is, just examine how much you listen to it. How much you obey it, if appropriate. How much you trust it. If you want to know how glorious something is in your life or what things in your life you really believe to be glorious let's talk about hidden beliefs if you want to know how something how how glorious something is in your life then then ask how much does it affect my behavior how much time do i spend with it how much time do i spend pursuing it or thinking about it how much money do i spend on it how much money do I give to it? That's going to be a pretty good idea. Give you a pretty good idea of how glorious you think something is and what things in your life you truly believe are glorious. The God tells us that there is nothing more glorious than Himself. And He will not share His glory with anyone or anything else. So what's glorious in your life? What's, what's glorious to you? And how do you know? Let's look at some scripture this morning. I got a new Bible version for you today. Uh, I, how many of you have heard of the Holman Christian Standard Bible? New version for me. Y'all know I'm always breaking out new versions of the Bible in here. Uh, this is the Holman Christian Standard Version. Exodus 15 11 says, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, Performing wonders. 
Who's like you among the gods? Who's like you glorious in holiness? Psalm 24 and 8 says, Who is this king of glory? Y'all heard, y'all heard that one, right? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The Bible not only describes God as being glorious, but it also tells us that He is jealous for His glory. Isaiah 42 and 8 says, I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Boom, drops the mic. He's done. I thought that would get more laughs than it did. Okay. What does that do for you? To hear that God, He's making these self-proclaiming statements. This is who I am. What what does that do for you? To hear God making these these self-defining proclamations like that. You know, for some, especially those that live outside of Christian theology, that statement, and I'm talking about in Isaiah 42 and 8, it says, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. For some people, especially those that are outside of, of Christian theology, that statement and others like it sounds like arrogance. It, it sounds selfish. It sounds like... God's on an ego trip. It sounds uh, like megalomania, right? That's whenever you're just obsessed with your own power. Uh, You're delusional about your own importance. God sounds like a megalomaniac. But the thing is, is that idea, to say that God sounds arrogant, that's a humanized idea of God. And we've got to be careful there. We want to take the time and deal with it. I mean, the four G's have been all about having a true and accurate picture of God. And sometimes people get hung up on God being aloof or arrogant or selfish. Or for some people, they even, their view of God is that He's this megalomaniac who's sadistic. He's so full of His own power and He just likes to make people miserable or certain people miserable. Y'all ever known anybody like that? Or heard people talk that way? I have. Like he just he enjoys lording his power over people. I've known people, they really rankle because they, they feel like God's just trying to make me do stuff and show me that he's a, and it bothers them. It's a humanized idea of God. And you know what? Okay, all you Christian Pentecostal people in this room with me today, we've got to be careful about this humanized idea of God as well. Even those that that profess to be close to God will do it. Have this humanized idea or concept of of, of a God who is holy and limitless. They start thinking of Jesus as as their homeboy. Jesus is my bro. Jesus is my wingman. Jesus is my co pilot. You're talking about the Almighty God here. So. Humanizing God, it's one, of the, it's one of our biggest mistakes. It's one of the biggest mistakes of all time. To say that God is arrogant or on an ego trip or a megalomaniac whenever he makes statements about himself and his glory like he does in Isaiah 42, we're forcing a human concept onto God that is inaccurate. Jason, why are you beating this topic? It's because that's what the whole four G's has been about, getting an accurate 
picture of God. And if we're forcing a human concept onto Him, we've got a problem. Because we're forcing our idea of morality onto the one who shapes reality. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> Anybody in here ever uh, watched that show, uh, Mythbusters, where the guy says, I reject your reality and substitute my own? Okay, it's preposterous. This is what we do whenever we try to tell God what's right and what's wrong. He shapes reality and we're saying, no, your idea of morality, what's good and bad is completely wrong, God. Let me tell you how this should be. It's, it's illogical. The whole point, that let's get down, to, let's go all the way back to the beginning for a moment here. The whole point in allowing for a God, in believing in a God, the whole point in doing that is He's the boss. He is the boss. Come on, if, if you're going to allow for God, that's what you're signing on for. You're saying, I'm, I'm okay with that. Why sign on for a God that has only partial authority or limited power? Who wants to follow that God? No takers? No. I want a limitless God who is all-powerful and has all authority because that's the one that's got the power to do something in my life. That's the God I'm going to sign on for. Well, if that's the God I sign on for, then He's the boss. And so if He says, bring me your son, your only son Isaac, the one that you love, Bring him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to make of him a whole burnt offering. Then it's good. Am I the only person in the room that has trouble with that story? That story has bothered me for a long, long time. And there's a lot of different explanations that we can get into about why it works and why it's theological. But here's the deal. If God said it, it's good. And you may not feel that way when He says it, but if you believe He is who you say He is, and He's got a pretty awesome resume then because He says it, because He asks it, it is good. Even if it's above my pay grade. Even if it's above my ability to understand it, because He is good, because He is God, He asks it, He says it, it's good. Now, some people just, they're not willing to go there. You listen to that and you're like, Jason, uh, yeah, that's a cop-out. That, that's a cop-out. Jason, what you just did right there. You just reverted back to this God's total power and authority thing so He never has to explain Himself. He doesn't ever have to explain any of the bad stuff He does or any of the bad stuff He allows to happen in the world. That's a cop-out. 
How many of you are with me right now? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay. You know what people really mean whenever they say things like that? What they really mean is, God hasn't explained Himself to me. And the bad stuff that He's allowed to happen to me. And the stuff He's allowed to happen in my life. That's what they really mean whenever they say that. Because of what you've been through. Because of how you've been mistreated. Because of how you were hurt. Because of how you were betrayed. Because of how you were raised. And the stuff that you had to endure whenever you were a child. You won't embrace the idea of a total, supreme, authoritative God who is both good and sovereign. Because of your hurt. It's a stumbling block for people. The problem is you can't humanize God. God is the source of existence. God is where you come from. You came from Him. He didn't come from you. Newsflash. So, if God... if Okay, let's, let's play with that a little bit. If God came from you, and He's a projection of your will and your imagination, then sure. He would be absolutely subject to your ideas and morality, and you could say God's arrogant, God's selfish, God's on a power trip, God doesn't explain Himself. But if He is transcendent, if He is supreme, if He is sovereign, if He is without a beginning and without an end, if He is omniscient, omnipresent, what's the other one? Omnipotent, omni-everything, if we could just say it that way, if that's really who He is, then you can't, you can't look at this and go plausibly with logic, with thought, well, if that's how God is and all that's really true, if He really is omni-everything, then He can say that stuff. Because it's true. It's not illogical anymore. If God really is, like I just described Him, then God can look at you without blinking and say, I'm what you need. I'm what you need. Because of who I am. I'm what you need. I'm what you need and I'm not sharing the attention that I want from you with anybody else. Now we're getting back into the idea of His glory. I'm what you need because of who I am and I'm not sharing the attention that I want from you with anything else. Because I'm awesome. And I'm really awesome. Well, that's arrogant of God to talk to himself, uh, talk about himself like that. No, it, it's not because he's he really, he's really awesome. Like it's truth. So when he says, "Jason, I'm everything you need in life," Ben, I'm everything you need in life. Amy, I'm everything you need in life. When God says that, it's true. And God just has to look at it. I, I just. I I wonder what he thinks when he looks at the stuff that we do trying to fulfill ourselves. God's saying, I'm everything you need because of who I am. And, and you're out there trying to find it in drugs and alcohol and sex 
what you're looking for in addictions, what you're looking for in control, in relationships, in another pair of shoes, in a nicer car, in a bigger house, in a better job, in a different spouse. All of that mess that you're looking for, all of that that you're trying to fill that hole in you with, I'm that guy. I'm the one that can do that. And I'm not going to harm you in the way that those things will harm you. I won't leave you unfulfilled the way those things will leave you empty. Yes, I'm going to leave you wanting more. That's the awesome thing about God, right? We establish that He, he, he makes a need and then He fills the need. So God's always going to, but it's not going to be harmful in the way that those other things are. You won't have to turn to food, Jake. You won't have to turn to chocolate, Jason, for peace and comfort. Y'all, y'all are grinning, but I mean, I've got a problem with chocolate. I do. You can turn to me and find peace and find comfort because I, I'm what you need. So let, let, I just I want to get past this whole God is arrogant. God has an ego problem. God doesn't explain Himself because God isn't arrogant. It's not arrogant because it's true, and He doesn't want to share the stage of your life with inferior idols with with posers with fakes with wannabes he doesn't want to share his glory his weight his value with fake stuff I told myself I wasn't going to go here but now I'm going to do it anyway this whole Ashley Madison Thing has been in the news. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay. And a whole lot of people are having their worlds turned upside down as a result of, for, for those of you that don't know, we'll keep this as G-rated as possible because it's church on Sunday. Ashley Madison is a website where you can go and discreetly sign up to have an affair with somebody else who's looking to have an affair. And sometime over the last month or so, some hackers got in and were able to access the real names of who some of these people are, and then they just released it, put it out there, and it's causing a little bit of... I told Julia it would be a great time to be a divorce lawyer or a marriage counselor. (laughs) That would be prime career move right now. So... I got to thinking about this, trying to get my brain around this whole thing where God says He, he doesn't want to share His glory. And, and I always have to put things in like earthly terms, not like a parable like I'm Jesus, but it, it helps me to understand these, these concepts sometimes. And it's like a, it, it would be like a man who has a, an established marriage relationship with the home, the family, the wife, and trading that in for one night in some sleazebag hotel with somebody he met on Ashley Madison. That, that's the way it came to me. God has to look at the things that we try to fulfill ourselves with that we give glory to. The same way that these people that are in the middle of this Ashley Madison crisis are looking at what's going on. In the, God's got to look at it. He has to look at it the same way. Why would you, and it's not like we're going to say, 
Oh, I'm giving weight and value and glory to my career. We don't say that. We're not that dumb. We just act it out every day in our lives. And God looks at that and He says, that's fake. That's not that's not real value. I'm what you need. Can I get off this point now? I think y'all got it. So say this with me. God is glorious. So we don't have to fear others. God is glorious. So we don't have to fear others. If we get a clear picture of the glory of God... and I'm talking about a picture of God that, that makes your knees buckle a little bit. Y'all ever had that experience? Somebody gives you some news and it just kind of, it rocks you. It, it makes you shake a little. Makes you be in awe. We need wonder restored to our faith. We need mystery we need mystery restored to our faith. I saw a few people nod their heads. You know, we could, we could almost amen that a little bit. <laughs> okay. Let me demonstrate and digress just a little. I'm going to warn you, I'm setting you up, but you're going to play along because it's fun. We need more mystery in our faith. Amen? <laughs> okay? But that's the very thing that we're trying to eradicate most of the time is the mystery in our faith. I need to know more. I need to understand. Why did this happen? Why didn't that happen? I'm mad at you, God, because you won't explain yourself to me. And it's understandable because sometimes life presents us with stuff that just blows our mind. It confuses us. It boggles us. We can't get our heads and our hearts around some of the things that, that happen to us. And so we want to know. But listen, listen to Coop this morning. That desire to know is coming from the fall. It's coming from the garden. And some of you folks that have been here, been in here for this 4G stuff, y'all like, oh man, here we, here we go again. But we're right back there, guys. We're right back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're right back to the garden. The craving, the yearning. I'll go ahead and call it what it is. It's the worship of knowledge. The worship of knowing. Now, okay, I'm a lifetime educator. I've been in education 18 years Knowledge is important. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having to have the explanation from God for every single thing that happens in our lives because if we don't get the explanation and we won't quit, we won't give up, we won't point this accusatory finger at God and tell Him He did us wrong because we don't know why. It's part of our fallenness. And guys... I don't care if you've been in this 10 minutes or 20 years, it's always going to come after you. That thing is always going to come after you. That yearning to know. 
that desire to know. Did, did Adam and Eve need to know before they ate the fruit? Huh. Now, they walked with God every day in the garden before the fall. And you know, there's not one record of the conversations they had. Not a single one. You can look all the Scripture, even whenever you get on into Hebrews and the guy starts naming all the people from the Old Testament. You don't see a single record of the conversations that Adam and Eve had with God prior to eating the fruit. There's no record of, now, God, why did you create the duck-billed platypus? Can you explain that to me? The question I would say is, now, God, why did you make the mosquito? I would really like to. Why did you make a horse fly? You don't see that. You don't hear anywhere in the Bible about those conversations taking place between pre-fallen man and God because the relationship wasn't knowledge-driven. It was relationship-driven. Got a little preaching on me right now. Slow down next on Sunday morning. What you read in the Bible is that they were together. Not what they talked about. Not the information that was shared. It wasn't about data or data. It was about being together. And then the knowledge of, the good, and, of good and evil comes into the picture and you get a whole bunch of, I'm sorry, but meth, crack, addiction-like behavior associated with knowing. Even their language, even their vernacular, if you go back and look at it in, the, in this framework, it's the language of addiction. I need it, it's not my fault, it fulfills me so it couldn't be that bad. Whereas before that, we were just at absolute peace just being together and our relationship was driven by being and by connection. Not knowing and controlling. So what I, what I want you to understand is that in the middle of this long digression, uh, I'm bringing it to a close, is that God wants, uh, wants to bring us back into a relationship of trust. Where He says, I know what you need. I know what's good for you. And I want you to trust me to make the call about what's good for you in your life. I want you to trust me to make the call about what you need. Be with me. Walk with me. Talk to me. Spend time with me. I want you to start valuing the connection and let me handle the knowing stuff. Let me be awe-inspiring for you. Be okay with, their, with the existence of some mystery in your faith in me. Don't make me just this, this little tab that you press into your files or this little side note in your calendar, another folder amongst all of the other files you have in the cabinet. Don't make me this addendum to your life. If I could say it this way, 
Don't accessorize with me. You ladies will probably understand that more than us gentlemen. You put so much time putting all that outfit together and there's that one accessory that makes it all fit and work. God's saying don't do that to me. Don't accessorize. Don't don't build your outfit. Don't build your life and then try to put me in the middle of it so that I can be the accessory that pulls it all together. Don't do that to me. That's not the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. Love me. Connect with me. Know me. You want to know something? Know me. If we can see God as glorious... It's going to take the fear right out of us. Alright, I'm setting you up again, but watch this. What do people typically fear most? Not spiders. Not snakes. Not public speaking. The unknown. Not even death. The unknown. Seeing God as He truly is, seeing God as glorious, will take the fear out of not knowing. Right out of us. We need to see God as glorious. And because God is glorious, we don't have to fear others. And this is where I'm going next week. Because a lot of us struggle with what the Bible calls the fear of man. Proverbs 22 and 25, we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy worrying about what other people think of us or spend a lot of time and energy worrying what we think other people think about us. That's, okay, let's, you want to talk about crazy? That's how nuts we are. We're bonkers. Every single one of us, we're bonkers because we spend a lot of time and energy worrying about what we think other people might think about us maybe possibly. Y'all ever had that? Somebody say something to you just kind of offhand manner and you're like, 30 minutes later, three days later, you're like, okay, what, what exactly did they mean by that? <laughs> what? Okay, that right there, that's what I'm talking about. So this is, this is where we're going. If we've got God's approval, then we don't need man's approval. He carries more weight with us. More than anybody or anything else, He carries more weight. And we care more about what He thinks than what people think. God is glorious, so we, we don't have to fear others. So, that was like page two. We've got, we've got a lot of ground to cover next week. That's all I'm saying. Hey, thank you all for being here today. Let's pray and we'll go. Lord, I thank You for every person that You brought into this room today. And I trust and believe that Your Word was applicable to every life that's in this room. So I pray that what was spoken here today and what Your Spirit bore witness to will get down on the inside of our hearts and affect our behavior where we need it. Lord, You are glorious. You are glorious. You have weight and You have value. I want to connect with you and leave the knowing up to you because you're boss. 
I trust you and I believe in my heart in your goodness, in your greatness, and in your grace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Man, you guys have an awesome time and service today. We'll see you in a few minutes.